Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Manifesting Brilliance podcast. My name is Jerome Imhoff, and it's really my pleasure to welcome you today to this conversation and to this space. Um, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I record from my home in Palm Springs, uh, California, and that means that you might hear the sounds of my neighborhood. You might hear my dogs in the background um, as I'm recording today. My little Boston Terrier Queenie is uh, uh, rummaging around, running around my office. She'll probably take a snooze on the the futon, but you might hear her. And um, so uh, just bear with that. But hopefully the ideas and information uh, that I share will be of value to you. As always, before we begin, I'd love to ground us in the present moment. So if it's safe for you to do so, meaning you're not operating a vehicle or heavy machinery or cooking something on your stove that could burn, um, I ask that you just close your eyes for a moment and put your right hand over your heart, your left hand over your right hand. Just take a deep breath in. And as you exhale, I invite you just to release anything that might be weighing heavily on your mind or that uh, might be keeping you in the past or worried about anything. And then another deep breath in. And as we exhale, we allow ourselves to become fully present in this moment, which the Course in Miracles calls the Holy Instant. Because this is the moment where our time intersects with God's time. And so we see in the middle of our minds a little ball of golden light. We watch this light grow larger and larger until now it fills the entire inner vision of our minds. We see for ourselves within this light a beautiful temple. We see a garden which surrounds the temple. And a body of water which flows through the garden. We notice that the inside of the temple is lit with the same beautiful golden line. And this is where we are. For we have been drawn together by the power and into the presence of God, of source, of the creator of all that is. And we ask that God's Holy Spirit would so uplift us above and beyond all illusion, all anxiety, all fear, that we might become the men and the women and the people that God would have us be. And so it is, together we all say, Amen. So, I'm really uh, excited about today's conversation. I have to share with you that one of my favorite things in the world right now is this new application mobile app called lunch club and if you're not involved you should check it out so lunch club is a a networking application where uh, the service matches you up somewhat randomly but quite serendipitously actually with people who are like-minded individuals so that you can have essentially a coffee chat or a lunch chat. Um, during the pandemic, it's been really great for those people who are craving human con- human connection and who are, you know, as we all are, stuck in our homes and working from home and, and all of those things. So today I'm welcoming a guest to the podcast and his name is Thomas Edwards. He calls himself uh, a transformational coach and he is uh, the creator of the One Up Effect. And I met Thomas through uh, when he was the very first of my connections with Lunch Club and uh, immediately was captivated by his energy. He's got this brilliant, gorgeous smile. He just is filled with the light of the Holy Spirit and, and all things good. And so today we're, we're going to have a conversation and you get to listen in. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, we'll just kind of see what happens. Um, one of the things that he's been doing um, of late is he's writing a book um, and that's available for pre-order and I'll let him share about that um, as we get to know him. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome Thomas Edwards to the podcast. Um, Thomas, uh, please tell the listeners who you are and, and what you're about. 
First of all, thanks so much, Jerome, for having me here. And as always, it's just great to connect with you. Um, so for everyone listening, my name is Thomas Edwards. I'm 35 years old. I'll be 36 in a couple months, maybe a little sooner, the publishing of this recording. <laughs> um, and, you know, as Jerome said, uh, I am a transformational coach. Uh, actually, him and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago and actually prefer to call myself more of a guy um, just because I, I'm not one that tells people what to do anymore. You know, I think coaches tend to lean towards the instructing and the telling of what to do. And I, I prefer just to be a co-facilitator on the journey that is your life because I'm still living too. And so we're doing this life thing together. And I just happen to be someone who could potentially be a, a, a suitable guide for whatever iteration of life that you're experiencing right now. And didn't always used to look this way. <laughs> um, you know, I, I grew up in uh, a Jamaican household. I'm first generation American. And in those type of households, uh, it's, it tends to be, I wouldn't necessarily strict, but it's very direct. And the objectives are pretty clear. You know, you are here in a land of opportunity. And so you are to get an education. You are to seek that opportunity in the form of a well-paid job. You were to accumulate as much funds as possible so you can feel as secure um, as possible. And then after all of that, you can start living your life and enjoying all the things that come with it. And you know, as a little kid, this is a very intense <laughs> program <laughs> to be given your child. Um, right. But, you know, as someone who wanted to please their parents, I followed suit and, uh, you know, did really well in school. And it didn't, you know, came, you know, with its challenges, being bullied and teased a lot and, and caving into those, those bullies and those teases and, and tried to walk this very difficult and impossible line between being cool and actually being a nerd. And I realized that it just, it didn't work because the nerds didn't like the fact that I was trying to be cool. And the cool people didn't like the fact that I was still trying to be a nerd. So I didn't really have a place to, to belong. And, and I really spent a lot of my childhood very uncomfortable. And we haven't even gotten to like the part where I started to like women and girls. <laughs> so <laughs> that just, that just added another layer of complexity um, into trying to figure out, how, you know, who I was and, and how to love that, that part, all parts of myself. And so um, I did know one thing was clear. I absolutely loved video games. I loved playing them. I was playing them since I was a little kid back in the days of Atari um, I try to fight my sister so I can get a chance to play a little bit of Pong and Solar Fox and Pac-Man. And, and then I got my own, you know, system and I was playing Mario Brothers and it just went on and on. And it was always this thing that I just enjoyed doing. It was the place where I felt the most peace. Uh, I felt the most like myself and I was able to uh, have connections with friends because I would be able to go to their house or they'd be able to come over mine and have these all day sessions playing video games. It was really the, the, the most fun I had doing anything. And I did a lot even in, in high school. I was a, you know, three-sport athlete and, um, you know, continued to get good grades while I still struggled with, with girls and <laughs> I tried to, like, find find friends that accepted me fully. And right. that went into college where I tried to pursue a career, at least a degree in video games, which I was able to do. Um, and then I graduated college in, in 2008, and that was during a – a tumultuous time economically, but also in the job market. And it was also during this time, uh, video game companies was also going through a very seismic shift where a lot of smaller um, developers and publishers are being consolidated under one big roof. And instead of creating multiple games over the course of a year, they really focus on singular big budget games. And so, um, and so inside of the development cycle of a video game, there are hiring freezes that occur because of this. So once a game goes to gold, there really isn't much um, need for uh, as many developers, producers, quality assistant, you know, assurance people and testers and things like that. And that was kind of going to be my entry level position going to the industry. So I just had a very difficult time breaking through and I ended up working as a valet um, in for hotels <laughs> in Boston. Because uh, that's what I was doing during the summers um, when I was in college. And then I decided to go the corporate route and became a valley manager and then started to get myself ingratiated in the hospitality industry and just learned 
just about the inner workings of of uh, hospitality brands, such as the Ritz Carlton, the Taj, uh, the Sheridan, um, and a few other boutique places in Boston. And while I did enjoy the experience, I knew this just wasn't really what I wanted to do. And you know, up to that time, like I told you, I kept on hitting at the the trouble with with girls and and had friends and everything. You know, I I considered myself a hopeless romantic, and so I, I had my own fair share of of pain and heartbreak um, in that time. And uh, I remember back when I was a, I was a sophomore in college, I thought I'd already found the one. And I, was, <laughs> I, I, I asked, I asked her parents to, uh, for their blessing as I was going to propose. Oh, wow. and they, they reluctantly uh, gave me their blessing. <laughs> and uh, the next week she calls me because she's supposed to come over to my place it's what she's been doing every week for quite some time. And I used to tell something was off, you know, and, and finally she tells me she, she cheated on me um, with the guy that she met in class. And uh, I was completely crushed, you know, and mm-hmm. I remember going in the, you know, going in the bathroom, taking a shower and, and just crying for, for about 30 minutes. And I remember coming out of the shower. I was like, you know, I never want to, feel that way again right you know and and that's when i really realized oh like i can actually look to improve my life like i don't need to just be at the whim of my circumstances and have events happen to me i can actually um do some more things so the first book i actually came across um was seven habits of highly effective people by stephen covey and it really it really uh changed my perspective on how to communicate and how to build positive relationships in the sense of that win-win philosophy, that win-win right. sense of communication, but also in terms of just relationships in general. And that was the bug that I caught when it came to personal development. So I started just becoming, I became a total sponge and just read all this content, you know, and, and it culminated to, you know, kind of back to when I was, you know, a valet manager in a hotel and just not being uh, so into it. I realized, wow, I have this you know, deep passion for personal development, you know, and I've spent a lot of time and, and energy into uh, getting to a place where I was feeling more comfortable about myself, learning how to build a lifestyle that's conducive to creating really positive relationships. Um, and, I, and I felt generally confident. And the big thing for me at that time was I also felt comfortable around women. So I decided I was going to create a brand slash business called the professional wingman and that the professional business, what the professional wingman wingman okay got it yeah <laughs> and it's pretty simple you know i would just uh, go out with men and women um and help them build the confidence to go out and make the romantic connections with people in person that was the big thing for me i wanted people to really feel comfortable going out their home and at any given moment make a connection with someone and hopefully right. have that lead to a relationship. And so uh, I started doing that in Boston and word slowly got out and then it almost felt like an overnight thing, but it, it just kind of happened where I was you know, published in the wall street journal. Um, and it was a very popular article that I was in. It was the second most popular article shared and read to uh, Obamacare. So, <laughs> so wow. the, the, the int- yeah, like the, like the Obamacare proposal, right? Like not, not even, right, you know, right. so, well, and so, isn't that interesting yeah. though, healthcare and love, right? I mean, yeah. two kind of, two important things, you know? So it's not surprising, yeah. but yeah, that's totally, awesome. Totally. You right. know, and I was, I was still living with my parents at the time. So my, my mom was like knocking on the door, waking me up at like 830 in the morning, telling me that like her neighbor read about me in the Rossi Journal. <laughs> I had no idea I was going to be in it. And then I look at my, you know, um, my email, it's like full of people from all around the world asking for advice and my sites being just, uh, you know, hit with like tens of thousands of views. I think I hit like 120,000 views that day alone. And then it started to trickle down. And so, you know, in the overwhelm, I also was in this place of like, all right, well, it's no longer this Boston thing that I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm international baby. So <laughs> I, I, I took that and went along for the ride. And, and since then, it, you know, not since then, but like for, uh, you know, a better part of, you know, eight to nine years, it was just media appearance after media appearance, being on TV, being flown around the country, helping clients in their city, learn how to 
develop the confidence to meet people in their city, cities that I had never been. So it became a, a, a dream job for me because it allowed me to go to places that I've always wanted to, um, but wasn't able to or wasn't allowed to go in my, in my childhood because of my parents' focus on what I needed to do. And I was able to really just do something that felt so natural to me. And I was able to create a, a lot of success at a very young age. And I had no idea where it was going to go. I had no plans. Um, but I did know I wanted to be the best. And uh, at some point, I got to you know, ach- achieve that, that moment where I was con- acknowledged as one of the best in the world at what I did by various media outlets. I mean, I was, right, even, on yeah. Steve, I was even on Steve Harvey. And, 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 you know, Steve Harvey called me and asked me to come on his show because he there, there was advice that even he couldn't necessarily give. So that, you know, it got to that point. And right. when I reached that, that pinnacle, that, that summit, there was a level of uh, emptiness that I felt. I, I, there was this lack of fulfillment that I, that I didn't expect to not have. Right. And that emptiness was so disappointing that it, began a very, very dark descent into just not knowing what my purpose was, not knowing what to do next, not feeling worthy. There was a lot of imposter syndrome. And then it led into like a lot of dark depression, um, a lot of uh, alcohol abuse. And by the way, like while this was going really well, I found my true love, you know, and so end up meeting my true love. We got married. We then had a, um, I moved from New York to LA. We had a, my daughter, like my life was still continuing to move forward, but my soul and my ego for that matter was in this constant conflict where all my actions weren't connected to anything. And it was all leading to just self-sabotage. And now the alcohol abuse got worse. I got into drugs and it was just this, I couldn't handle the emotions of Mm -hmm. what I was going through, what I was feeling. I didn't know where to go to, to talk about it because I had this identity as the wingman. Like I'm the cool guy. Like I know I'm supposed to know what to do at any given circumstance, you know, and I'm the most confident person in the room. So what help do, should I need? Right. I have it all. And little did people, and I put on this show, I put on this front because I was trying to protect myself from not being exposed from the reality, which was, I was completely empty. Right. So not to cut you off in the middle of your story, yeah. but something occurs to me and I just want to see if maybe this was the case for you and I could be wrong, but I think in my own life, I was, I've had sort of a similar um, interest in, in personal development like you, like you had, right. That was sort of the the catalyst for starting this, this mm-hmm. journey, right? This business. Yeah. Um, and what I found for myself, at least, was I was really good at reading the books. I was really good at understanding the books intellectually. I was really good at repeating what the books said, mm. right? And, and yeah. telling other people and helping them. But The Course in Miracles talks about this um, journey without distance from the head to the heart, right? And so I think in my own life, I'm, mm. I haven't always made that journey hasn't taken place. And so yeah. until, I mean, it's taken time for that to happen. And so I'm wondering if that was sort of the case for you that you knew it intellectually, you knew how to apply it, but you hadn't really let it sink into your heart so that you had a sense of your grounding, who you are in spirit as a divine being, right? Yeah. I and mean, so there's, I- Yes. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's the first, that's actually the first time I'm actually able to hear that in reflection. And it really resonates with me, you know, like it, from, from the, from the absorbing to the internalization to the application. Right. And sometimes the repetition was there and other times it, it wasn't, but no matter what the circumstance, there wasn't this, this, I, um, it was connected to a false identity. Right, the identity of wing—I call it wingman. Yeah, right? so, and, I don't, so, and I don't know that it was know? necessarily a false identity. Well, maybe, but I mean, I think yeah. I think you might, that, might be, that might not be the right word, but to right, your point, but, like, it but I think it wasn't at your yeah. at the core of your being. You weren't the yes. wingman at the core of yes. your being, like, and so I think when we understand who we are at the core of our being, then we're unshakable, 
right? Yeah. You know, the, the scriptures absolutely. talk about li- building your house on rock or building your house on sand. And when you build mm-hmm. your house on sand, the winds come, the, the rains come and you're not, um, you know, the house falls apart. But if you're built on rock, the winds come, the rains come and nothing's can, nothing can shake you. Right. You're, yeah. you're solid. Yeah. And I know for myself, I've had, mm-hmm. I had a therapist, uh, you know, probably 10 years ago, I was talking about all these things and he's like, Jerome, you've read all the books, you get all of it, you know, and now it's time to, to live it. You have to live it, you know? Yeah. And there was a part of me that's like, great. I need to live it. How the hell do I live it? <laughs> like, how yeah. do I do, how do I do that? Cause it takes that a long was... time to figure it out. Yeah, that was a struggle. I mean, yeah, you know, when when my when I found out that uh, my wife was pregnant and I was gonna you know be a dad, which was something I've always wanted to be since I was right. a teenager, right? It was the best day of my life and and the worst day of my life because in that that same day, someone I just had a recognition and awareness that someone that that I had a part in creating was going to be born, and at the same time, this identity that I clinged onto was going to die. And I spent the better part of two years mourned, actively mourning the death of that identity through, you know, escapism, right? And then the tools that came along with it, the alcohol, the drugs, right? The late nights, the partying, the, the, the lifestyle, all those things, you know? But it was really just a cover to suppress these unmanageable emotions, you know, that I didn't have tools for, I didn't have a place to go, and I didn't have people... Um, around me who have the best interest in my heart or, or who I, and, or who I also trusted to even share these things with. So all of this was kept internally for so long. And it got to the point where my wife came to me and said, listen, you know, this is not the life. This is not the marriage that I, uh, you know, committed to be in, you know, so something inside of our marriage needs to change or else we can't have a marriage anymore. And she used those words, and I'm paraphrasing, but she used those words, but I knew that she meant like something in me needs to change, right? And so it was the first time where I, I sat down and I assessed my life and really looked at, you know, the tools that I currently had, the position that I was in and the problems that, you know, the, of, of the situation that I was in and the possible solutions to getting out and realizing I didn't have those tools <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, like it, I had to ask for help. Like I couldn't just do this on my own. And it was a very difficult program to shed because that was the program that was given to me since I was a child that don't worry about anyone else. Do it. You can do it on your own. You can figure it out on your own. You don't need to ask for help. You know, just, just figure it out. You're smart enough to be able to figure right. it out on your right. own. Right. These are the type of things I was hearing so much. And so, Having to let that go was such a, it was another death within itself, right? But right. It, it also, <laughs> well, but interesting too, this whole message of you have to do it on your own is deeply ingrained in us. There's a great documentary film called I Am that was made mm. by Tom Shadiak. Tom Shadiak is the, um, was the producer of the movie Ace Ventura and sort of like you had gone through, um, you know, had arrived, had done all these things, well-known, had the house, had everything. And he talks in the, the movie about how he's been handed the keys to this mansion. And he's there. Um, I think he's there alone. And he's like, I have the car. I have the, the house. I have the career. I have the money. Why, why am I not happy? I have all the things I'm supposed to have to be happy. Why am I not happy? And so he kind of sought out people to tell him about this. But one of the things that's really interesting in the movie is um, one of the people he interviews talks about uh, Charles Darwin and that Charles Darwin, we, when we think of Charles Darwin, we always think of survival of the fittest, right? And uh, this, this man, I think it's a man. Uh, It's been a while since I've seen it, but anyway, what comes about is this notion that Charles Darwin wrote only a little bit about survival of the fittest, but wrote a whole lot about cooperation mm. and that the universe and even um, uh, animals and, and that cooperation is what's deeply ingrained. And he, he, they did this study where they were watching deer that needed to migrate to, to a watering hole 
but so they're grazing so that but what they said the the study showed was that the deer have to have to graze enough time so they have enough nutrients to get to the watering hole but they can't stay too long or they'll be de- become dehydrated yeah and what they noticed was that after the deer had grazed enough they would stand up and they would point their bodies in the direction of this watering hole. And as soon as 51% turned and faced the direction of the watering hole, the entire herd would go. So in essence, they were voting. Wow. They were cooperating. They were voting so that they would all go. And then they showed that schools of fish when they're swimming and you see how they all go together, right? Or the, the flocks of geese. That yeah. they are voting about which direction to go continuously. They slow it way down and they can see, but there are signals that they're giving to one another so that the, the whole group is deciding where to go. So our universe yeah. is set up for cooperation more than for competition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I believe that. Yeah, I do too. It's really interesting. Yeah. So anyway, continue with your story. If I yeah. haven't taken you off track. <laughs> no, 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 you haven't. I mean, you know, the, the, the you, you'll, I mean, for those who are listening, you'll, you'll realize why I do what I do today because my story within itself, it has these moments that I, I, I really believe so many of us have gone through in one, you know, one period or another. I just happen to have gone through all of this <laughs> in, in, um, up to this point, you know, and so, you know, I finally just, you know, raised my hand and said, Hey, you know, I need help. And right. at that point, you know, it just, I just, it just opened up the door to receive support mm-hmm. you know yep. so it started with uh therapy and then it started then it then it went along with hiring my own personal coach and then it went to leadership weekends and spiritual retreats and breath work and meditation and it just i got a lot of you know uh, brotherhood groups right recovery groups and programs and like it, it's all started to come together for me and i started to see incremental progress in my life like my mm-hmm. life actually was getting better because I opened myself up to receiving help and support and let started to let go of a lot of the things that I tried to control. Right. And so there was at one point, you know, now, you know, we're getting to a point where uh, January 14th, 2019, I like retired from doing wingman stuff going out and things like that. That's also the day I got sober and I, knew that I needed to chart a new path for myself. I know I, I also knew I didn't want to leave the personal development space. I really felt like there's, there was wisdom and knowledge that I had that I could share, but it didn't have to look the way that it, it, it had for the past, you know, 10 plus years. Right. And so I'm looking at my life and I'm seeing, and, I'm, and, I, and I journal all the time. I have two journals here and, and have all the journals that I taken time to chronicle my, my personal journey and thoughts. And I looked at the results I've created in my life and once again, had the realization that I wasn't feeling fulfilled. I wasn't having fun. You know, I, I was doing a lot of these things because I have obligations. I'm a husband, right. Right. I'm a father, you know, I'm a businessman. I'm also a son. I'm an uncle. I'm a nephew. I'm a, I'm a brother, you know, I, I'm a friend there's a lot of roles that I play in my life that I felt obligated to. And for that reason, it was enough for me to turn my life around, but I knew intuitively it wasn't going to be enough to sustain the turnaround, right. To stay in that path. And so I made a conscious decision to look for fun, <laughs> look for something fun in my life. Amen. Make yeah. all of this worthwhile. Right. And right. so took a moment and then, I, I, that was that moment where it clicked and I was like, video games, video games. You know, I had shut video games out for years because I allowed stories from the outside to tell me that video games were for kids. That if you're, if you're an adult and you're running a, your own business, you shouldn't be spending time, wasting time playing video games. I mean, you're the wingman. Cool, cool people like you don't play video games. <laughs> You know, like all these stories, right? These are, these are things I was told repeatedly. And, and eventually I bought in just like, just like those bullies when I was growing up, when I was doing well in school, telling me that, you know, being, being good academically is bad. You should be cool, right? It was the same thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see, like, is the fire still there? And as soon as I touched that controller, 
it was like an electrical charge went through my body and I went through this portal and I just boom reconnected to that inner child who that was that was always sitting in front of that TV right. ready to play and I decided you know what let's put some structure around here so I decided I was going to uh, compete in a video game tournament and so that forced me to train aka play video games for uh, you know a period of time and I went and I entered this tournament total newbie uh but had so much fun. I mean, not only did I do well, like I came in 33rd out of a, you know, almost 120 you know, people, but I had so much fun connecting mm-hmm. with other gamers, playing, being in this environment where everyone was here just to play games and just talk about games and be in the experience. I mean, I, I, it was a very long time since I felt that way. And when I sat there and I, you know, looked at my, my results, I was like, man, I wish life was like this. I wish life was just like this game that I would just, you know, practice and play every single day for those moments when I can compete and, 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 and not necessarily always look for the win, but just enjoy the experience of play, right. right? Just amongst other people. And then that's when it occurred to me. I was like, what if I just made my entire life a game, a game-like experience? And so I ran home went back through my journal of all the, the, the experiences that I had in making my life better. And I said, what would it look like if I just put a game-like layer on top of it? And then, I, and then it started to really come together. And, it, it, and then it accelerated. And I was like, you know, it kind of reminds me like Mario. You know, when you're playing Super Mario Brothers and you have one life, you are very protective and cautious of this life. You know, you're not, you're not just whimsical and running into things or right, right. <laughs> jumping into pits and <laughs> you know all these things you're very you're very cautious and it, and it comes from a place of scarcity right you're on your last life but the moment you find that green mushroom and you hear that sound where you got the extra life all of a sudden your psychology completely shifts you're willing to take your time you're willing to to take chances and risks knowing that if you were to screw up it's all right. You got an extra life and you have feedback to know how to, how to play better the next time. And I was like, man, I personally got a chance. I found an extra life. And it started by me raising my hand and saying, I needed some help. I needed right. some support. And since then, the way I've approached life, the way that my mind thinks about life has been as if I found an extra one. So that's when the one-up effect came into play. And then it turned into this whole philosophy now where I teach people how to live life at the intersection of fulfillment and achievement, where you no longer have to live this story that success has to come before happiness or success is a byproduct of, of happiness. And the truth is you can have both without having to sacrifice either. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the work that I, that I do today. And, and honestly, it feels like the, my entire life has led up to this moment where now I get to have this be my life's work. And, with my daughter, you know, she inspired a lot of this because I watch her and everything she thinks about is in, is in a play-like mentality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a 35-year-old, I'm learning more about life from her at four, well, soon to be four, uh, than I've ever learned in like, you know, the past 30. So, right, right. <laughs> so for me, it's like, I'm now growing at a much more rapid pace you know, between the ages of 32 to 35 than I did from 18 to 33. And it's because I've taken this mentality and I've taken it to all areas of my life through purpose, you know, my physical, mental, spiritual wellness. Right, right. Yeah, so a total paradigm shift where yeah. you realize, I mean, Abraham Hicks, if, you know, some people follow um, Abraham Hicks. Um, one of the things that Abraham said speaking through Esther Hicks, is that life is supposed to be fun. Mm -hmm. Fun is the whole reason we're here. Fun and love and joy, right? And I love that you mentioned your little little girl because I think kids get it. Kids get it because they're so, they've just come here from that, from the other side, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Um, they're pure, positive energy. They don't see anything but endless possibility until we teach them otherwise. Right. And so, you know, Jesus said, we, we enter, you know, we're supposed to enter the children or enter the, the, the kingdom of heaven as little children. 
And I think that messages to see our, continue to see our innocence, right? That we are all innocent in the, the eyes of God, even though we have missteps, right? So we make mistakes, but we correct those things, but we're still like at the end of the day, how do you see yourself? You know, um, I'm a student of Course in Miracles. And so the Course says, you know, we are innocent children of God. That's all we are. There is no condemnation. There is no blame. There's no such thing as sin in a traditional sense. It's sin is an error, which needs mm-hmm. correction. And that we have a loving father who helps us correct that. Yeah. And then we just, re- you know, we get back on course, right? And and so it's the same thing as this little the little kid who you know makes mistakes, but never loses that sense of innocence and never loses a sense of joy and well being. Yeah. So, um, and I think people need a whole lot more fun in their lives. Absolutely, you know, we forget Absolutely. how important play is. Play is important, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and play. It's as important as other things, you know, and I break it down into four worlds that we play in, so to speak. So, right, there's yeah. the world of purpose. As I was talking about, there's the purpose, which is physical, mental, spiritual wellness. There's play, which are the people, the places, and the things that allow you to experience joy and connection. There's passion, which speaks to love of self, love of a partner, or if you're single, love of the pursuit of one, and uh, love of kindness, right, is a way of scaling empathy. And then performance, the world of performance speaks to increasing, sharing, and asking for value, right? And, 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 it's, and I say it in those ways because they, as you go up the levels inside of each world, just like a game, it gets incrementally more challenging, mm-hmm. right? To get to a place where you have a high level of spiritual wellness, it, it takes, it's, it's definitely more challenging than working on your body for some people, right? It might be the, it might be the alternative. It might be the opposite for some right. people, right? But generally speaking, when I've, you know, in terms of the work that I've done with my clients, it's been in this incremental order. But going back to play, like, I mean, the people, places, and experiences, I mean, the things that allow you to experience joy and connection is what life is all about, you know? I mean, the, uh, the former CEO of Nintendo, I uh, forget his name, but he is quoted as saying, you know, games aren't created for you to win. Games are created for you to have fun. And, and that's, where I, that's where I speak to the two different games that are being played in, in life. There's someone else's game, as I like to call it, right. where the objective is to win. And there's, a, there's an idea that if you win, you'll be happy. Right. right. And and typically what I find is when people are winning or feel like they're winning, but they're not happy, that's when they're playing someone else's game. Right. And then there's your own game where you are so happy that winning is a becomes a byproduct of that happiness. Yes. Right. Not not an objective. It just becomes a byproduct of that happiness. And so there's right. no need to sacrifice it. Right. And right. So. Um, I typically tell, you know, uh, challenge my, cl- my clients. And, and if you're listening here, you know, th- if you assess your life, are you more concerned and valued based on your wins <laughs> or are you more, uh, concerned and, and valued based on your experiences? Yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell here's a, yeah, exactly. We've talked about this before, but it's great to talk about it now with people overhearing us because yeah. one of the, the exercises I do with my clients is I have um, a pyramid, which is three sections, right? You know, a, the base, the middle section, and then the top, the point. And I give my clients the words be, do, and have. And I tell them, I want you to put these in this pyramid where you think they belong. And most people get it wrong. Um, most of the time, oftentimes they'll put do as the base. Mm-hmm. And then maybe be next and then have at the top or, um, but they never get it. They never get it right. And because we're not taught to get it right, but obviously, you know, where they go, right. B is the base. B is, you know, Mm -hmm. because happiness is a choice. We choose to be happy and that happiness comes from being grounded in who we are. 
that we are spirits in a body, that we were created in the image and likeness of God, source, power we define the divinity, right? And the power that created the entire universe lives in us, literally. It dwells within us. And, uh, and we are expressions of that divinity, right? Yes. We are, that's why we're here, is because the divinity wanted to experience life as Thomas, right? Yeah. Like, said, hmm, what would it be like to be this guy named Thomas? So you're here, and you're an ex- one of the many expressions of God. So B is the base, and then do is next, mm-hmm. and then at the top is half. And then yeah. we talked about our equation, and, and yeah. you and I have the same exact <laughs> same equation. equation. You're yeah. the only other person I know who has this equation. <laughs> yeah. So it's B times do equals half, right? Yeah. And and yeah. so again, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's so exciting to me because when you understand who you are and you multiply it, because multiplication is such a powerful operation in mathematics, it's, you know, yeah. exponential, right? So, mm-hmm. and like you just said, when you, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but yeah. When your focus is on the being, then the haves, the wins, the prizes are the natural result of that because you're so grounded in who you are, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and 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 for, and for those just to, just to kind of reverse engineer it so people understand like how you know people kind of uh, get, get interpret the formula wrong is typically it's it, it what people how people see it is have plus do equals be. Right. right. And, this, right. and this, is the, this is the game of winning that I was talking about. That's usually someone else's game. So it's like, once I have the promotion, once I right. have the relationship, once I have the house, once I have the, the car, once I have, quote unquote, people, places, or things, right? <laughs> then right. I'll be able to do all these things and then I'll be happy, right? right. And, and, and so, yeah. so what I love to do is like, look at my pyramid analogy then. So if everything's in its proper place, B is the base, do is in the middle, have is the point. I say, okay, if you're focused on the have, let's flip the, or let's put have at the bottom. Can you balance a pyramid on its point, on the tip? Mm-hmm. No, it topples over. So when you're focused on have, then your life, if that's your life, the be, do, have is your life, which essentially it is, then your life is going to fall apart. That's why Tom Shadiak and you, to some extent, had the stuff and thought, why am I not happy? And it's yeah, like yeah. millionaires who win the lottery, right? Mm-hmm. And totally. most of them, most of them, you know, they win the lottery, they're millionaires. They do not understand how to be a millionaire and they end up losing all of the money very quickly. They spend it all, yeah. right? We see this with athletes. We see this with uh, celebrities and, and musicians yeah. and artists yeah. all, yep. all the time. We, we see countless of people take their lives. And you would wonder, like, why would they take their own life? Their lives are amazing. I would want that life. And you just, you just actually have no idea, right? Like the, you just don't know like what, what they're go, what they're going through, but you know, what ends up happening and studies have actually shown this when people go after something that they don't currently have, their self-esteem drops as they progress towards that thing. And so what ends up happening is as you're progressing towards this thing, your self-esteem is actually diminishing. And then if you get to the, 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 that point where you're actually able to acquire or experience the thing, your self-esteem peaks and drops, wow. right? People think that once they have the thing, it stays up, but it actually doesn't because what our minds, and this is, the, this is where our ego comes into play. Our ego makes us believe that by having this thing, that the impact of our lives will be a lot greater than it really is. And then the idea that if we don't have this thing, the impact of our lives will be worse than it really is. So what ends up happening is we have this thing, we feel the high from having this thing, and all of a sudden the ego is like, all right, now I have it, what's next? And so, <laughs> so immediately your level ah. of, of happiness goes away just like that because it's already consumed it. Now it's yeah. ready to consume something else. And so we... I love to bring that to people's awareness because I want them to understand that for all the pursuit that they're having in order to acquire this particular thing in hopes that it'll make them happier, not only are they making themselves unhappier in the process, but they're actually only going to sustain that level of happiness near, not nearly as long as they believe that they will. 
you know what? Yeah. So thank you for sharing that because I did not know that, you know, about the, as you're pursuing something that your, your self-esteem diminishes, I guess I knew it on some level because I've experienced it, but I didn't know it as a fact. And I'm so glad you said it because a few weeks ago, I read a book um, by a woman by the name of Laura Fenimore, who I'm actually having on the podcast um, on a, an upcoming episode. She wrote a book called um, Skinny Fat Perfect, and it's about weight loss. And I happened to, to meet this woman again serendipitously through my work with the Foundation for Inner Peace. I'm a volunteer for them, and they're the official publishers of A Course in Miracles. Anyway, so she wrote this book about weight loss, and I have struggled uh, with being overweight for probably the last 15 years or longer. And I need, I want to lose 50 pounds. Anyway, she wrote this book and it's brilliant because it's not at all about what to eat and exercise. I mean, she touches on that a little bit, but it's all about, you can't sustain change of like weight loss change until you learn to love your body as it is. And she said, you have to, if you can only love your pinky, then love your pinky. But you have to love the, love your body. Because otherwise, you're chasing after this goal, right? And you're, you're trying to lose weight, but you're, it's diminishing your, <laughs> your own self-esteem. And I thought, like, as you're saying that, it's like, it clicks. Like, that's why so many people do the fad diets. Maybe they lose the weight, but they put it back on because they never saw themselves they never love themselves in, in their current form. And so when they achieve the skinny body or the, the body that society says they're supposed to have, they they still didn't love it. Right. And so. It's right. So it's like, um, you know, people who ha- are poor, so to speak, right. Like right. from a, from a financial standpoint, get rich, but end up losing their money because they still are mentally poor. Right. right. And the same right. thing, you hear this all the time. It's, you know, people who are overweight, obese, fat by either medical or by public definitions lose weight, but they're still mentally overweight, obese. Right. Or, un- right. And, and, and by the way, like I could call it those things, but the way you, you said it was so much better because ultimately that's just a reflection of how much we love or don't love ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, how we even label these things. Is, a, is an indication of how right. we love on ourselves, right? Right. right. So right. this, so it's it's this idea that hey, you know, I'm going to go after this particular goal or this particular promotion or this particular body, and what it what you don't realize is your mind is immediately comparing itself to that destination, and because it realizes that it's not at the destination, it immediately has a drop in self esteem, mm-hmm. right? And so. And by the way, if you're making progress and let's say, you know, you need to lose, you want to lose 50 pounds and you've lost 25, your mind will immediately say, well, I haven't gotten to 50 yet before it even acknowledges that you had, you lost zero pounds not too long ago. Right. 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 And and this is just the internal game that actually takes place. This is external conflict that takes place. We haven't even introduced the idea of social media and what that does. Oh, right, right. right. So yeah. we haven't even talked about external forces that come into play that right. actually influence how, yeah. how much our self-esteem drops. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So here's something I want to touch on because you sort of mentioned it uh, in passing, um, but I think it's important to, to mention. So one of the things that you said when you were kind of um, going through this transformation yourself, the kind of transformations you're guiding people through, you mentioned very quickly that you did a couple of things and one of them was meditation and the other was breath work. And what I think is really key for people to understand, and we talked about it earlier too, is that this transformation doesn't happen without some sort of deep spiritual practice. 100%. It has to be, that's that's where it's grounded, right? Like it was when you got quiet and you were meditating and you found out, again, you, you allowed yourself to know at the core of who you, you know, at the core of your being is spirit, is divinity, is sacredness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, I love meditation because it puts us in the moment so profoundly. And you realize that the, what's sacred is this moment right now. This, yeah. you know, this is sacred. 
this is where we're living is right now. And when you start to do that and you start to find out who you are, then these changes can happen. It's that level of being, right? So um, it's not just being like, you know, having good self-esteem. Self-esteem is important. But what I think, um, when I used to do retreat ministry, we used to talk about having God esteem rather than self-esteem. Mm. Because your self-esteem is rooted in knowing who you belong to, who you are and whose you are. Yeah. Right. Right. There's, you, there's two se- There's two selves, right? There's the self with the lowercase S and then there's the S with the capital S, which I, I always connect to the God self. It's the God self, right? And that you are literally, you were created by a loving power that created all that is. And not only were you created by it, but that loving power breathes its life into you. So it's, that's the life you're living. You're living the God life, right? And so, yeah. Um, And I just wanted to touch on that because, you know, we're talking about all these other really great ideas and they're phenomenal. And, um, and I love, I have to say, I love this idea of purpose, play, passion, and performance. I love Mm -hmm. alliteration to begin with. So that's great. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure it took you some time to come up with all of those so that they all be peace. (laughs) (laughs) But it's brilliant because it's easy to remember. Um, But they're all really important. You know, they're all, and I don't, yeah. And I don't know, do you arrange these in a hierarchy? Because I think like that there's sort of a hierarchy, but I don't know that that there necessarily is, you know? I I mean, I I see them all as equals. Yeah. Inside the levels, there's, there's a hierarchy for sure. Okay. Okay. and so, you know, obviously, for example, in purpose, there, there's a physical, mental, spiritual wellness, right? Yeah. yeah. And so got the, way it, I always, the, way, the way I view it is, you know, you can't exist if you don't have a body, <laughs> right? In terms, in terms of like the 3D world, right? So it's so vital for your yeah. physical wellness oh. to be in place. And it's so and, funny that you say yeah. this because the other day, <laughs> so I went through this thing and I'll probably talk about it with Laura, the woman who wrote the book, mm-hmm. but I read this book and was like all on board with, yeah. I get it. Um, and then I journaled because a lot of stuff came up for me. So I'm journaling about it. And then I went on this binge and ate just a bunch of crap and they got really sick. And when I'm in that moment of really sick, feeling bad, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Jerome, because I've always been really cerebral and spiritual and not very body aware. Mm. Like I don't really inhabit my body because I'm so... Yeah. In, like it's all about intellect and those things. I, I'm not athletic. I don't, you know, yeah. but, but the Holy Spirit said, Jerome, you need this body as your vehicle to continue the work you were called to do on, on earth. What in God's name are you doing to yourself? You need to cut it out right now. <laughs> you know, mm, yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> message received. <laughs> you know? So you're right. Yeah. We can't yeah. do anything without a body. How crazy of me to not, realize that you know yeah and 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 from a from a from a really deep spiritual place your body is the vessel in which god channels its its power through so if your body is weak it's not going to be able to sustain the channeling of power that god has for you when it's it's like a weak signal on a weak signal on your cell phone right exactly right like the reception just isn't going to be there right and so just taking care of the hardware right Right. it's really just taking care of the (laughs) hardware right and yeah. then, then you start focusing on the software, right? The, the, the mental wellness, right? Being able to now like clear out space with your mind, start, start reprogramming some stories that have not served you in your life right. that you've right. been clinging on to and, and kind of identifying when, when do those stories show up in your life, right? And, right. and figuring out how do you transform them? And then, right, now it's like the magic, of the hardware and the software coming together that like we can intellectually speak of, but we know it's more than just intellect. Oh, right? yeah. And that's the spiritual wellness being connected to whatever higher power that you believe that exists. That's not of the 3d world right. that you can have a clear communication and relationship with. Right. Right. Like, right. And this is really what it is, right? Relationship with your body, relationship with the mind and the relationship with the spirit. Yeah. And awesome. when you're, when you're able to create, get that place, then what ends up happening is the levels kind of reverse, right? And so what used to be 
now this glass ceiling that you 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 know you worked so hard to get to break through, which is the spiritual wellness, it now becomes the new foundation in which you live your life. You know, because you've broken through these these two other levels and right. now reached a new foundation where spirituality becomes the foundation, and then it just gets reinforced in your mind and in your body. You know, yeah. and so and that's how each each world is set up that way. You know, and but you got to start from the fa- you got to start from the ground up before that before that that highest level becomes your new ground, so to speak. Awesome, awesome. Well, so we need to be wrapping up here, but I think I could talk to you. Probably, yeah. we could have like a three hour <laughs> podcast, and uh, and I would love it, and I think the listeners would too. But um, but we have lives to live, so let's uh, we have to wrap yeah. up here uh, shortly. But I there are a couple things I want to do first. So first, I want you to tell the listeners just a little bit about the book, the title, how you how they can pre-order it, how they can connect with you if uh, if they're interested to do so. Yeah, so right now I'm actually uh, writing the book. It's called The One-Up Effect, um, Live Life Like You Found Another One. And in that book basically talks about the entire philosophy that we've, you know, that we've just talked about, you know, how to really create a game-like experience in all aspects of your life and find daily practices, moments of transformation, and quarterly quests to become the best version of yourself, or as I like to call, how to chase down your highest self. (laughs) Your highest self is always there, and you're just chasing that person down. So how do you set up a game that allows you to catch up with that, with your highest self? And so if you want to pre-order, you can go to oneupeffect.com. Dot com And actually what I'm doing, I'm doing a very different thing with how I'm writing the book. I'm actually speaking the book out. And so how I'm doing this is I'm actually recording videos of me speaking about every single idea that's going to be in this book. And then I'm transcribing and putting it together into a book. And so what I've decided to do is create an entire squad dedicated to the creation of my book. So it, once you actually pre-order your copy of the book, you'll also be able to join an entire squad that gets access to these videos. And to be able to provide feedback and, and, and action items in which you'll be able to implement this into your life as I'm writing this and creating this book. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. And then if you want to know more about me, you can just go to thomasedwardsjr.com. So that's thomasedwards, okay. letter J, letter R.com. Awesome. So just to clarify, one up effect, is it the digit one or one spelled out as words? Oh, digit one. So one, number one, up effect.com. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Great. So thank you for that. Okay. So we're going to just do a little speed round of questions that I borrowed. You won't say I stole them, but I borrowed from Oprah. Okay. Okay. So I just need to find the page again. Have it. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. So I'll give you the first one. The world needs more blank. Love. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, that was, yes. Okay. Um, God is beautiful. What do you know for sure? Then I'm here to play. Very good. I guess we'll leave it at that because I can't actually find the page in my notebook, but those are good enough. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah life is a game make sure you're prepared okay so thank you so (laughs) very much thomas for joining us um if you uh are a regular listener of the podcast and you want to contact me you can do so at manifestingbrilliance at gmail.com my website is manifesting manifestingbrilliance.com and uh if you're listening to us on any one of the platforms like iHeartRadio. Apple Podcasts, whatever, please uh, rate us. So we rate the podcast so that uh, other people can find it. And um, with that, I will say goodbye and sending you lots of love and light and uh, do something uh, this week to um, increase the amount of play you have in your life. Thanks for listening. <laughs>